able to tell you. Listen, man, there's so many things. This uh, I couldn't take my eyes off uh, Mario's outfit, man. He looks sharp. You know, he's got the boots on. I'm like, man, where did he get the boots? <laughs> but, um, man, he's right. The blessings of God um, come just in the giving. I want to just tell you one quick story, one quick story. So, yes, uh, last week we had a, one of the brothers come in, and uh, he's super helpful. He's at my location. He came in, and he, he diagnosed some of our sound issues. And he gave my wife the semi-bad news that there's probably uh, a $1,500 to maybe $2,500 um, cost for some replacement stuff. She tells me, and I'm like, oh, all right, I don't care. God's going to provide. And if he don't, oh, well, you know, we're going to be okay. As she turns around, literally to walk that way, someone comes up to her and says, hey, my son's been working for a year and uh, wanted me to give you this because he's working today. And he goes, well, what is it? It's his, it's his offering for his tithe over the course of a year's work. How much was that money? $1,500. And that's one story out of a lot of stories that I have over the last three months where people have come up and said, hey, here's the check for this or here's an offering for that. God is meeting our needs. You know what Mario said that was absolutely true? He asked so little for us. You know what he really asked for you and me? Just show up. Just show up. He's like, hey, get up in the morning. Use the power that I give you. Get your legs going. Get your clothes on and get here because when you get here and you're in my presence, man, powerful things can happen. And you know what? At the end of the day, the one who misses out is the one who doesn't come. You know, remember this. When Jesus saw all the people when he stepped off the boat uh, in in, uh, Capernaum, and he saw all the people around him, what did he do? He walked up the hill, and his disciples followed him so that he could teach him. This is an upward walk. All we have to do is walk step by step. Amen? All right, before we go into our sermon, I'm going to ask Julie and Aguirre to come up. Um, I, we have, I, I've known Julian for quite some time, and i got to tell you, <coughs> Julian has uh, demonstrated to me that he is a man who loves the, the church. He loves the sheep of God. And uh, Julian is serious about personal growth and personal surrender, and he's been instrumental in my life in helping me to get to the next level of my surrender. Because I'm going to tell you this, this is what salvation is. It's not about me being built up. It's about me being brought low. I'm just telling you right now, God's like, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to save you this way by getting you away from you. Because I don't know about anybody else in this room, I'm my own worst enemy. Always have been, and I always will be. And Jesus says, listen, I am more than enough to meet your needs. Julian's been one of those guys. So when I came here, I thought to myself, we have two elders, and they've been doing an excellent job, and they have been done an excellent job. But we need more men who are going to rise to that level. Women, do not lynch me. Please. Men are intended to lead. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. You know why that's hard to hear? Because the way God asks us to lead is through sacrifice, not by me putting my time, my efforts, my dreams, my wants on the line to meet the needs of those that God has given me as a blessing. That's what leadership is. That's what Christ did. And that's what an elder does. I'm going to read a scripture 
as uh, Julian stands up right next to me, and I'm going to ask some of the men to come up. M uh, Mario, any of the men who feel comfortable, come on up, and we're going to put hands on our brother, and we're going to ordain him today as an elder and a shepherd over his shock sheep. Please, man, I don't care if you're <laughs> listen. If you're here, you're called here, get up. If you're a male, that's what it means. I'm going to be courageous enough to get up, and I'm going to lay hands because I'm going to be used up by God to bring about the kingdom in this world. That's what it is. It's like, well, I didn't earn my keep. Nobody's earned their keep here. Jesus won it. Anybody who thinks that they somehow earned a spot at the table, they're wrong. They don't even understand the gospel. I'm just telling you. So here it is. Uh, I want to read a scripture out of the book of Acts. This is Paul speaking. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have my sheet. Oh, give me a second. Okay, here we go. I had it. I must have lost my, my, um, well, anyways, it doesn't matter. I can't find anything. Um, so Paul gathers all the people at Ephesus together, and he says to them, no, 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 here it is. It's in First Peter. That was the scripture I wanted to use. Here it is. Listen to this. This is Paul. I'm sorry. See, my brain's blowing out. All right. This is Peter speaking. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder as a witness of Christ's suffering and the one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Understand that. We're going to share in the glory that's going to be revealed. Be shepherds over God's flock that is under your care, serving it as an overseer, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those who you've been entrusted, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. So let's all pray together as we raise our hands. Father God, Lord God, we want to take up the role that we were meant to be. And that means I'm going to surrender my hands to you. I'm going to let you lead me. I'm no longer going to be in charge. Lord God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom rise. We want to see families restored. We want to see young men and young women lifted up and told of their value and how much they are loved. Lord God, we want to see the world change, and we want it to happen right here, right here. Lord God, we offer to you the life that you gave to us, and we ask that you would bless Julian, Brother Julian, to be a shepherd over your people, help him to remember that this is a serious call, and that he is to love them, and he is to grow in love with them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would be abundantly acting through his life and be, be glorified, be glorified by what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Brother, yeah. Okay. Great job. You guys can all go sit down. Thank you so much. All right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Leviticus. Ooh, that's a scary book. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. Let's say a quick prayer about Leviticus 16. Father God, as we open up the word, Lord, this is powerful stuff, and it's a real dangerous thing to even speak ignorantly wrong about the word. It's a dangerous thing. Lord God, your holiness is something to behold. And, uh, man, you know, you even said it in the 50th Psalm, what right do you have to put my laws in your filthy mouth? <laughs> it's, a, it's a powerful word. And uh, 
So, Lord God, I count on you, Jesus. I count on the blood and the righteousness of Christ. I count on the Holy Spirit. You count on it. Because, Lord God, we need to hear from you. Lord, when you call someone, they hear your voice. They come out from the grave, and they are forever changed. So I pray, Lord God, that you would be exalted today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take care. All right. After the Lord spoke to Moses, this is 16 of Leviticus, chapter one, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after his death to two of the sons of Abraham who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain. So understand that. God's saying, don't just think that you can drop in, step into my presence anytime you want. Already that creates a tension because we have, as children of grace, the ability to come into the presence of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They didn't have it. So much didn't they have it. If they did do it, like Phineas and the other son, uh, Hophni, they would have died. They would have been struck down and consumed with the fire of God. And that happened. So he said this. Place behind the curtain in front of the atonement the cover of the ark, or else he will die. I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram offering and a burnt offering. He is to put a sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments. These must, he must be bathed himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram offering for the burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sins, offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to take the two goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is also to cast lot for the two goats. Now pay attention to this. One lot was for the Lord and the other is the scapegoat. Aaron said, bring the goat on whosever lot the Lord's lot falls on and sacrifice him for the sin offering. But the, chose, the goat chosen by lot to be the scapegoat then shall be presented alive before the Lord and to be used for making atonement by sending that goat into the desert as the scapegoat, the one who escapes from the consequence of sin. Two goats. Two, there's a lamb who dies and there's a goat. One uh, gets, gets, I'm just going to be very crude, he gets the knife. He dies. And the other one his hand is placed on him. He's taken to someone else. He's taken out in the wilderness. And then that goat runs out in the desert. That goat lives because the other one died. Wow. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sins. He's to take a censer full of the burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrance and incense and make them behind the curtain. He is to put them in incense pot and the fire before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover. That's where the presence of the Lord is at. It's at the atonement cover. If I could give you a visual illustration, it is a golden seraphim like this and like this on top of the Ark of God's covenant where he's at, his covenant with his people. A covenant's different than a contract. Anyone who's a lawyer or has dealt with anything, a contract is me and you in an agreement. You have your agreement and I have my agreement. 
You have to hold yours, and I have to. A covenant's different. A covenant's this. I promise this to you. That's what God is. You can't be in contract with the Lord. You know why? You'd be in big trouble. So we have to be in covenant with him. That means he will make the provision for you. And that's what he's doing. He's making provision. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people. Take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull. And he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover. That means he should splatter it and in front of it. And this will make a way for atonement from the most holy place. Because the uncleanness, listen, the uncleanness and rebellion of Israelites and their sins has been placed upon the head of the lamb. This is like real confusing, right? It really has nothing to do with our everyday life. You're like, wait a minute, what has this got to do with me? I don't understand it. But there's a lot of visual imagery. First, before we go into that, I want to say this, that when we look, when we go through this series, I don't want us to just think that we're looking for theophanies. A theophany is where Jesus kind of shows up in a physical form before he becomes incarnate, before he's born of Virgin Mary. Yes, he does come in at periods of time where you see his physical body, but it's more than that. It's more than just theophanies, because if all we're doing is looking for theophanies and all these places where we kind of see Jesus as he walks through, we're going to miss the most important thing. What we're seeing here is the divine drama. It's God's story being told over and over and over and over. Because one of the things that people make the mistake of if you're looking at the Bible is they see the Bible kind of portioned out. Well, God acted this way here and he acted this way there and he acted this way here and he acted this way. That's called dispensationalism. Thousands of people believe that to be true. But I do not see evidence of that. God never changes. God is the same from beginning to end. He never changes. Everything he demands, he always demands. It's always the thing. He never changes. His person is transcendent. That's the thing that actually, that has the power to change me. That has the power to transform me. His transcendence. When I look at him, but the truth of the matter is because of his holiness, we're kind of blocked from that transcendency. We're blocked from coming close to him. So I want to go back to this. Jesus has always walked by leading his people. He's always walked with his people, leading his people. He was the one, listen to all these ways. He was the one who took the rib out of Adam's side and joined Eve to her husband. It was Jesus who was the physical matchmaker of husband and wife. I want you to understand that. When you see in the book of, of, of Genesis chapter 3, he's standing between Adam and Eve and he's like, I have made you for each other so you could be a more complete reflection of me. See, if we understand the Bible, we'll understand every aspect of our life. Unfortunately, for the last maybe 50 years, we've made the mistake of thinking, well, I'm supposed to get married for this other person to make my life happy. God's like, good luck. Get married for about two years and see if it works. Because it doesn't work. We let each other down. We're both incomplete. We're both imperfect. We both fail at points. The point of marriage, the primary point of marriage, is for reflection. We are to be made into the image of God. Man can't do it on his own. Women can't do it on his own. So we brought the two together. It was Jesus standing in the middle. Let's go to another example. It was Jesus who walked through the cool of the day in the garden. It was him who searched for Adam and Eve when they were hiding in fear and shame. 
You know, you're like, oh, that's cool, but you, who cares? It's like 5,000 years ago. Can I tell you something? You know what that means to you on a regular basis? You can call out to him every minute of every day. And when you don't call out to him, because you know and I know you don't call out to him thousands of times more than he calls out to you. He seeks you out. Why do you think Mario understood when that car blew by him in a red light? It was God chasing him. It was God after him. Why? Because he's mindful we are made of dust. Man, he is a good, good God, and he is faithful to his people. It was Jesus who made the first sacrifice. He was always the high priest of his people. He was the one who provided a garment and a covering from Adam and Eve so that they could cover their nakedness. That's another word. Do you know what that means? It's not just physical nakedness. Yes, they were physically naked, but it was more than that. Man, they were overcome with inferiority. They saw themselves. They saw the other person. They're like, oh, I'm exposed. You know what? There's thousands of Christians who still Run away at the idea of being exposed. You will never be transformed unless you are exposed by God. You must be exposed to him. You come before him naked and exposed. Your eyes can't even really look. But that thing that we fear most of, because we feel like God's going to go, look at those dude faces. Look at those dogs. He says, I will cover them. They see them no more. This has always been the case. It has never, ever changed. It was Jesus who was foreshadowed last week by the Passover lamb. Listen, here's evidence. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 through 30. While Jesus was still eating with his disciples, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to them. He said, eat this, all of it. For this is my body. It has been given for you. Take this. Every time you eat it, remember that it was done for you. This is me, right? Then he offered to them to drink. He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which has been poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Was it a new covenant? Not really in the sense that we understand new. He's saying, I make my covenant with my people new every day. I constantly cover you. I constantly pray for you. I constantly shelter you. That's exactly what he's saying. It's an everyday, 24-hour-a-day deal for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is always shepherding us, always watching us, always providing for us. Is he always dying a death for us? No, he died once for all. But his offering, his life was so perfect that it is able to cleanse us at every moment of our day, at our deepest, deepest moment. And I want people to get that. And I'm going to tell you why it's important that we get that. I remember one time I was at a pastor's meeting. Uh, I don't want to talk too long, but that's because I do. I do. Um, I was at a pastor's meeting. There was a pastor there. I really liked the guy. He don't like me so much. I don't care. A lot of people don't like me. <laughs> and he's educated, so I listen to him. And he said to me, he goes, hey, listen. He goes, I tell all the people all the time, the Bible's written a whole lot longer than the book of Romans. And I thought about it for a while. And I was like, okay. Sounds, it sounds logical. It sounds good. But then as I was reading the book of Romans again, I realized that it wasn't until the book of the Romans, the understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
I could even understand you, Paul. That makes sense. The epistles of Paul, John, Peter, James, nobody apart from them, you can't look back and make any sense of what you're reading. You would have no idea. It would all be there plain to see, but there would be a veil that would obscure your view because ultimately God's holiness cannot allow sinful man to get close. It's only through the Holy Spirit. It's only through that. It's like a prescription eyeglass. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you have put your faith in the Lamb, everything, and I mean everything, changes for you. That's what it means when it says you are a new creation in Christ. Even your eyes work differently. Let me give you four examples. So now, because of the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in his eternal sacrifice made on our behalf, the presence of God is a treasure. In the Old Testament, when God showed up, people ran for the hills. They were utterly terrified. Why? Because they knew they were in danger. But now, man, he becomes a treasure. God is no longer an obstacle for us. He is beautiful, and we are drawn to him. Man, you know what? I, like I said last week, I realized that the greatest thing that you and I can do is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to meditate on how great his love is for you. Because I assure you, as you see his beauty, his love, it has a way of giving you a suntan that other people can see. That's the best way I can say it. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying this. Let's look at another thing that happened. Now, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit working inside of us, the law of God becomes a beautiful guide to me. It is now a boundary for my life. Why do you need a boundary? Because apart from grace, you will run off a cliff. Period. People are running off cliffs daily, and they have no idea. No idea what they're doing. Jesus got off the boat in a place called Sennacherib, and he saw the people, and his heart was moved because they were a shep sheep without shepherds, and he was like, oh. He felt the pain. And apart from grace, we, we will walk off a cliff. Sacrifice, listen to this. Sacrifice now is not a way for me to get blessing monetarily from God. For those of us who have been bought by the blood of Christ, sacrifice is the blessing. As a father, I was with my family, and I realized how blessed God has blessed my family. And you know what? Because I am selfish and because I am blind and stubborn at times, I think, don't hold me bad in your eye, don't, no stink eyes here, I think, man, I've sacrificed enough in front of them. And I looked at them as we were all eating dinner, and I was like, man, I haven't sacrificed anything. Man, God used whatever little peanuts I had to bless my family, and now all I can do is praise God. Can I take credit? Certainly not. But I look and I think to myself, how dare me think that the sacrifices that I made were anything but a blessing. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Here's another one. Let's wait, before that, let's listen to what Paul said because he said the same thing. For me to live is Christ and because I live for Christ, to die is gain. There's far too many Christians, I speak to you as a brother, who care more about their life here. Do you know why? 
because they fear that nothing comes next. Nothing at all. Oh, no, we know that there's heaven. No, no, no. If you have the winning hand in poker, you don't hold half your chips back. I know when I see full bets, and I know when people are hedging, because it's pretty easy to see. Jesus gave us the winning hand. Nobody can beat us. At the end, you'll throw them down. I don't care if they got four aces, four kings. I don't care full house flush. You got the royal flush, the highest of all, because it's his hand. That's the difference. And here's the last one. Death now because of Christ, because of the atonement, isn't a sad part of life, something to be feared and avoided at all costs. Death now becomes our door to take, that I take to be completely united with my soulmate. You know what? Can I tell you something? That's another lie that's been perpetrated for the last 25 or 30 years. That's a really very new concept. Well, if I, I just find my, my soulmate, that's the word soulmate, or, you know, I know that there's that person out there that's going to make my life so complete. They're right. But the soulmate of all human beings is Jesus Christ. You were made by him for him. And until you find him or listen to his voice, I assure you, you will grope around like a blind person until you find him. You'll go, oh, this is it. Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait, this is it. Wait, where did it go? Wait, 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 wait. You know, you laugh because you know you've done it. I made a whole 31 years of doing it. I've been following the Lord for 25 years, and I'm still, still fighting with the tendency to do it. See, everything changes when you understand the atonement. Let's look at Jesus in the atonement in the book of Leviticus. But for us to do that, we've got to remember where we end off in Exodus. Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. The adversary, which means Satan, because Satan is not his name, it's his title. That means I lie about everything. That's what his name means. That means I lie. Hey, you're the one who lies about everything. Don't say that to him. We're told not to talk to him today. So the adversary at the book of Exodus seems to have God between a rock and a hard place. Let me explain the dilemma. God's holiness. Now, this is going to. I'm just going to say it because I have to say it. If I love you, I have to tell you the truth. His holiness demands that his purposes and expectation for the gift of life must be met. And if anyone rebels against or usurps his authority and his rule, he must be held to account. That's what the holiness of God demands. And Satan knew it. Problem is, what we see in the Romans road, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means the intents and purposes of life have been hijacked. We always think, well, sin is me cursing, stealing, using drugs, having immoral life. No, no, no. No, those are the symptoms. Those are the pimples of sin. Sin is me wanting to do life with God in a box or not at all. Listen, God, I'll give you a place, but it's going to be up there. I'll invite you in when I want. Or, listen, man, I'm going to put you in the church building and I'm going to kind of do my own thing. That's where everything grows out of. You know, the funny thing is we, we who know the truth have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. We know this to be true. And guess what? We still struggle against it. Who struggles against it in your life? Be open. Be honest. Be honest. Be vulnerable before the Lord. Because those who are vulnerable are covered. No vulnerability. You're still kind of holding back. God's like, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait until you're ready to give up. 
All right, so the adversary has gotten him in a, a place. Here, here's the issue. So God must hold us to account, but God clearly loves the man that he created. So the question becomes, how can God love a people who he is at war with? You're like, well, wait a minute. My God is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of love. He is love. But I assure you, apart from grace, he must hold you to account. See, I cannot be converted to the love of God until I am aware that I am a rebel. And you know what else I've learned? I used to use threats when I preached. You know what I learned? I thought about my own life. You couldn't have threatened me with going to jail when I was, I didn't care. You couldn't have threatened me with dying. I was like, bring it. Who cares? I didn't care. I ran through the streets. I loved it. Sin wasn't something I fell into on accident. I chose it. And you know what? No rebel is ever afraid of judgment. But it's until you see the beauty of God, when your eyes are open to how much his love truly means, then you think to yourself, by God's grace, what the heck have I been doing my whole life? It's a change that can't be, it, it, it can't be understood, really. Satan thinks that he, in his wisdom, has stopped God's plan. So this is how it all changes. God has chosen an epicenter people for his love to be poured out. It was Israel, but it wasn't just Israel. It was his elect, his chosen from before time. Paul lets us know in Romans 8, 9, and 10, not everybody who was born to Jewish parents were the elect. He says, of the two, I say this, I will have compassion and I have compassion, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. For I have in the womb loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. Well, that's not fair, God. To which he says, what do you know about fairness? You're biased at best. Talk to me, lecture me on what's right and wrong? Boy, that's the epitome of pride right there. So God is telling us that he is an epicenter people. Who are those epicenter people today? You, me, we are the epicenter people, the focal point for his love to be poured out. Why did God want to pour his love out on his people? Because his love is intended to beautify the lives of his children. And then it is meant to overflow the borders of our life to everyone who was close to them. Our, as husbands, as husbands, as men in our houses, we are to be overwhelmed with the love, not just simply conquered by Christ. We are to be loved by Christ. You know what? One of the biggest problems is men cannot demonstrate love to other men properly. You think homosexuality happened because of some kind of uh, uh, mental illness? No, it was because men didn't know how to do things. They didn't know how to love one another. And then they walked around confused. Man, you want to love your wife better? Come into the presence of God. Be overwhelmed. Say, overwhelm me with your love for me. Love me like a father never loved me. And I assure you, once that happens, you will, you will not worship your wife. No, no, no. But you will truly shower her with love and affection. You will, now the door's closed to worship. But, uh, all right, so listen. So, because of God's great and incomparable love, he has chosen to dwell with his people in their presence. That's what Emmanuel means. Remember, we only 
practice and celebrate Emmanuel at, at Christmas time. But the truth is, he's done it forever. He's always been there. But they just couldn't see it. They ran from it instead of running to it. Why? Because they did not know grace. They did not know grace. And God was teaching them. So anyways, he chooses to live with his people. He chooses to live with them in their camp, which means he chooses to live with them in their homes. Sounds great. But the problem is man's rebellious and skewed heart can provoke a potentially dangerous environment for the children of Jacob. Our sins that we commit will create a hostile tension between God and the people he loves. So as we look at the camp, as we look at the place where God says, I'm going to live, you see that he lives here, but he keeps 180 feet between the next person and him. And then from that person, another 180 feet. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have Aaron and Moses save 180 feet from my, my entrance of my place where I'm going to live and be in your presence. And then there's going to be another 180 feet from the next person. And then it's going to be from further and further. And so much so that the instructions were given that you weren't even allowed to move past the parameter to the, uh, to the, um, the tent size. You couldn't even come close because God knew that people would be tempted to kind of lift up and look under. If they were to touch the tent, the tent sides, the tent walls, they were to be killed because the holiness of God would not allow it. So this is a very dangerous thing. It's a blessing that God lives with them. But once again, if you came close to God, even the high priest, you know what they used to wear when they would do the high priest? They would wear bells around the bottom of their apron. Why? Because they were supposed to walk in like this and do their sacrifice without looking. Because if they came in, made one mistake, looked at it, touched it, came in with sin, forgot to confess something, bam, dead. And when the bell stopped ringing, there was a rope around them so they could be yanked out. Man, this was a dangerous thing to come into the presence of God. Oh, it sounds primitive. Well, you know what I say? That sounds like glory. It's just like the sun. Sun can give light, but if you come close to it, it'll kill you dead, dead. So, this is the problem. What does God do to solve it? He gives specific instructions as to how the tent of the meeting was to be built, how the parameters were to be erected around the dwelling place. He was the one who said how you are allowed in, when you were allowed in, and what you could do when you were allowed in. He gave the instructions for the distances that were to be maintained. He was the one who created the priests and the Levites and the elders and then everyone else. Nobody got to say, well, I'll volunteer for that. He's like, no, 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 it's not for you. It's for me to say. That's never changed. Never. Or like, well, I, I, I get to choose God. Yes, because he gives you a heart to choose him. I know that that's very, very confusing, but I can show you verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. It is God's salvation from beginning to end. Therefore, it produces in me incredible gratitude. Man, it's powerful. This is powerful stuff. Let's go back. This was made for a visual, constant visual reminder that God's holiness is not to be taken lightly. How do we take that into our current day? Sometimes, I don't know about you, but because I am a child of grace, I can take God's holiness for granted. 
you? Because I do. I take it for granted. I treat him with contempt. There are some times I do not talk to God for at least two hours during my day. Pray to him in the morning when I'm in my shower and I'm on my deal. I'm moving around. I don't pray to him until around 9, 30, 10 o'clock sometimes. Sometimes I, I don't even open my Bible. <laughs> but that's, that's real dangerous. What does that mean for you and me? Even as children of grace, we are supposed to speak with greater reverence. Why? Because God's going to harm you? No. Because your life will be adorned for him. You know why people don't come into the presence of God? Because they don't believe that there's a payoff. That's the truth. One of the greatest dangers of sin is its ability to blind us as to how dangerous it really is. That's why we have a tendency to touch that which we know or to come back almost like moths. You ever see them with an open flame? They can't help themselves. They keep getting closer and closer. You're like, dude, your wings are going to eventually catch on fire. You're going to die. They're like, no, no, not me, not me. Why do you think God uh, always healed leprosy? You think he picked that by accident? No. Leprosy is a perfect example. It is an illustration of sin. It causes numbness. It's a circulatory and a nerve issue. So eventually, you don't even realize it's happening until eventually you get sores on you and body parts start falling off. That's what God's talking about with sin. That's what he's saying. Cut your eye out before it takes over. Cut your hand off before it consumes you and you're thrown into Gehenna. Was he talking about hell? No, he was talking about the city dump. Man, I'm telling you, man, there's powerful truths, powerful truths about the gospel, powerful truths about God. So what does God do? God points toward the future. What is the future? At oneness. Atonement is three words. At one. The two separated by God's holiness can't make the chasm. God can't come close to you, can't come close to him. And he says, I have made a way. Satan and all his devising and all his schemes and everything that he thought he could do, he was probably like, I did it, I did it, I did it. He never did it. Because God always had a plan. And God always shows a way for his people. We're going to find out that nobody was saved apart from grace. Everyone was saved by Christ's work. So what did he do? It, he saved us by an edict. That's a fancy way of God saying, I'm God and I can do what I want to do. And how did he do it? Through a term called vicarious substitution. I know that that's like, you can't talk about those things. They're too theological and doctrinal. People won't listen to them. I'm telling you, if you understand this, you will be amazed. That's the difference between us and Roman Catholicism. Ready to listen to this? They believe they're saved by grace, but they do not believe in vicarious substitution. You know what that means? That means my sin has been placed on the head of the lamb. The lamb then pays the price, and I'm the scapegoat to set free so that I can demonstrate to everyone the mercy of God. That's what it is. Roman Catholicism, they believe in justification this way. When Jesus died on the cross, he did everything that was necessary. Now it's up to you to keep your salvation. How do you do it? You better go to church. You better give offerings. You better keep them sacraments up. Guess what? You could live a great life. You commit a mortal sin and you die after you commit it. You're going to hell. Did you know that? If you don't get a priest to pray for you, I'm not, listen, I'm not getting into the Catholic Church. I wasn't Catholic for years. Are there people saved in the Catholic Church? I'm, 
asking the cosmos. <laughs> but they don't even know what to worship. You do. You do. So let me tell you our version of justification. It's not just our version. It was the intended version. You know who gave us the definition? Jesus himself. Remember on the cross? Here he is. Uh, everything he's suffering under the penalty, the weight, the, the wrath of God. And what is his last words? Everybody? It is finished. Well, you got to ask yourself, what's finished? What are you talking about? He didn't just say it's finished. He used the word tetelestai, which means paid in full. It's a business term. That means we owe God. When God gave you life, he intended his purpose for your life. And you know what? You and me were the same. We both cheated him. We were supposed to give him our love 100%, 100% of the time. Have you ever done that? We were supposed to love our neighbors with the same amount of love that we love ourselves. Have you ever done that? There's no way you've done it. Maybe you've tried it. I've tried it. We get close to it. Have we ever given him his purpose? Have we ever given him what is due? No, it's an impossibility. So when Jesus died, he said, everything you were owed, I have given you. And what happened so powerful that cosmos shattered in two. Man, that was powerful. Everyone who rose up against Jesus Christ, when that earthquake hit, they knew they had messed up. Satan thought, man, I won, I won, I won. And then the rumbling happened, and they headed for the hills. Oh, no, we only did what he wanted again. Man, God is good. Can I get a round of applause for the Lord? On the cross, Jesus won back the honor of his father. For him to love me is an insult. If you were a counselor or an angel, for him to love you, Julian, as much as I love you, they would go, what are you doing? Don't you understand? Others will look and they'll go, he takes advantage of you. God was insulted by loving us. You're like, no, not me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you. And until you understand that, your response to him will only be limited. I know why people pull back. I know why they give limited responses. Because they don't know the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel because I know it's the power of transformation. After Jesus rose from the dead, then what did he do? He presented himself to his father. His father was then full of pride and full of love. He asked, what will you have as your prize, son? You won back my honor, just as you were intended to do. You know what Jesus did? He said, take my righteousness and give it to your chosen. See, vicarious substitution goes beyond just my sins being placed on Jesus' shoulders and him dying. When he rose from the dead, he said, take my perfect life and give it to you. And you, and you, and you. So when we stand before Christ, we're not only sinners, we're perfect. Jesus is in front of his Father because he's clothed us. Man, that's a powerful truth. Why should I come to church? Because you're a sinner and you're going to pay the price. Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm a sinner too. Come in, Jesus will cover you. Man, I don't think I can do it. Sure you can't do it. He'll make it happen. 
That's our message we bring to the world. That's the message we bring to the world. Well, I don't got my life right. Who cares? God's going to get your life right. You're going to surrender one step at a time, and if you don't, he'll make you. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus said, I want my righteousness to be given to the ones you've chosen. So, chosen. so atonement is our sins having been washed away, and now we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is where we end. Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, is a gift to God's children that pointed to the day that God would remove the burden of sin completely and perfectly. Every year you would bring, every day you were to bring a sacrifice. Why? Because he wanted you to be aware that you sin, we sin, I sin on regular occasions, thoughts, words, and deeds. Did he do that to keep rubbing our face in our mess? No, he wanted us to understand the hopelessness of our situation apart from grace. So you'd bring it day after day after day, and then you'd wait for that one day when all the sins would be collected and washed away, and it would create a longing in your heart. We live in the longing that our sins have been washed away. We stand perfect in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, that makes a difference in my day-to-day -day life. Amen? Amen. Anyone who has been saved from the beginning of time has been rescued on the credit of Christ. Even though Jesus had not yet come incarnate, his sacrifice has always been successful. It's not based on the sacrifice I bring. It's not based on the works that I have done. It's not because of my family that I was born into. I love one time I, I had this guy who was a drug dealer, got out of jail. I'm like, I'll mentor you, man. We're going to work. He goes, dude, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, I, I grew up in the church. I go, that really, I don't mean nothing. <laughs> I mean, you're a drug dealer for the last 22 years. And he's like, no, 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 man, I've always been here. I go, maybe you're a bachelor or something, man. You don't, you're not born a Christian. You're not born a Christian. You're born again a Christian. Jesus says you must be born again. That's the truth. We are not even saved on the strength of our own faith. And can I tell you something? Boy, we love to believe on our own faith. So God demonstrates to his treasured people that they have nothing without him, absolutely nothing. He brings the deliverance. He provides the land. He draws up the plans. He provides for the materials. He even gives the priests their robes. As we listen to Jason, and you all stand up, let me tell you one last story. Book of Zechariah. Satan, once again, because Satan can come into the presence of God. You know that. It happens every day. Or I don't know if he stays up there. So he comes up, and he loves to bring accusations. You know why? Because just like God watches you, he watches you. He's got people watching you. He sees you, knows what you do. You think you can, it's all exposed. And he goes, see your high priest Joshua? He goes, I watch him. I watch him. You got a lot of nerve, God. To let that guy serve you. And you know what? He's bringing the charge to Jesus. Right before the throne of God. And what does Jesus say? The Lord reveals to you. Is this not a smoldering wick that was snatched from the fire? Who are you to bring an accusation against the one whom God has saved? 
Who are you? You're not in charge. You lie, cheat, and steal. He gives life, and he gave life to him, and you can't take it away. And what does he do? Here's what he do. Here's what he do. That's good English. Here's what he does. Then God commanded the angels around him to take off Joshua's filthy clothes. That's what he's doing to us every day. Man, I want my death robes off. They bind me up. They smell like rot. I want all of it. And so should you. Take off those filthy clothes. And then God said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sins, and I put on you fine garments. Let's worship. To the cross I look, and to the cross I cling. Suffering it shall drink, of its work I do sing. And on him my Savior, both bruised and crushed, showed that God is love and God is just. At the cross you beckon me, draw me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so... Lost in love, I'm sweetly broken, holy surrender. Yes, Lord. And what a priceless gift. Undeserving life have I been given through Christ crucified? You called me out of death, you called me into life. I was under your wrath. Now through the cross I'm reconciled, oh, at the cross you beckon me, draw me gently to my knees and I am lost for words, so lost in love I'm sweetly broken, holy the cross I must confess how wondrous your redeeming love and how great is your faithfulness is at the cross you beckon me draw me gently to my knees and I am lost in words so lost in love I'm sweetly broken holy surrender 
about those words. You beckoned me to the cross. Man, how many times have you had to go to someone that you were counting on and you felt that you were a burden to come and ask for it? I even remember when my kids were doing something. I'd be a project. And my kids would come. Dad, 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 dad. And I'd go, wait, 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 wait. I'm busy. Stop. Man, he's beckoning me. You know what that means? Don't come to me. Put that down. Come to me. For what? So that I'm loved. Let me love you. Let me love you. I know that sounds too good to be true, but that's the gospel. Too good to be true. Are you holding back? You know, every day is an opportunity, but I, I, I got to be honest, there comes a day when the opportunity stops. He's coming back. I don't know when. Have you been baptized? Have you gone through the blue book? Why are you waiting? Come to me today. I'll put you, women with women, men with men. Here, what do we do now? Simple. Make every effort to add. How do I do that? Take one step in front of the other. That's it. In three weeks, there's going to be a men's group. You want to be a part of that men's group? Talk to Hugo. Talk to Mario. Talk to Julian. If you want to be a part of the women's group, talk to Liz. Talk to Grace. Talk to man. I'm telling you, you're going to be beautified by it. It's going to pay off. Let's pray together. Let's hold hands because we are united, one church. God is driving us. God is covering us. He is holding us. He's uniting us. He has, he has wrapped his arms around us, and he is leading us into his victory. We are walking not to victory, but from it, man. God's going to do mighty things here. He's opening up a ground-level opportunity, and only those who stick around are going to be a part of it. I'm telling you, in five years, we're going to look back, and we're going to go, oh my gosh, I was part of something that I can't believe happened. I know it. I know it. Absolutely. I know it in my heart. Let's pray. Father God, we are awed. Lord, we confess. We, we don't treasure your presence the way we should. Holiness to us is... It's a tricky thing, Lord God. We, oh man, it doesn't, it doesn't make us want to come close. It makes us want to run away. But Lord God, can I say, it's because of your cross, because of your love, because of your life. Jesus, it's because you came, lived, you sacrificed, you speak, you seek after us. Man, we can trust you. We can come into that holiness. God can inspect us. He can wash away those things. He can heal those imperfections and impurities. Lord God, we love you. We want to ask you that you would have all your way with us. We ask that you would be the Lord of our house, that you would baptize us afresh with new love, new love for our wives, new love for our husbands, new love for our children, new love for brothers to sisters and sisters to brothers, Lord. May there be beautiful harmony in the home, Lord God. May there be abundant forgiveness because, Lord God, you have forgiven us so greatly. How can we not give it to others? Lord God, I pray that you would heal our broken hearts, Lord God, that you would be the balm, that when we confess our pain to you, you would share your pain with us and we could have a, a camaraderie like people who are in battle together. Lord God, we love you, but it's nothing compared to how much you love us. So I ask you, Father, that you would have your way 
that you would call the dead from their graves and make this the epicenter home for your focused love. And we pray this all with one voice and the saints said, amen. And the saints said, there we go.